1: This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On
2: his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a
1: spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league.
2: What a play! Off to the races! Touchdown! Oh, he's done it
0: again. Now here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Fantasy Football Today. Big show today. We're talking about the crazy eight—the eight toughest players to rank. Four from Dave, four from a very special guest. We'll talk about players like Kenny Galladay. Can he be awesome on a new team? Jalen Hurts, a lot of upside, maybe a lot of downside as well if you we just looked at his passing numbers from last year. So we will get to all of that. Our special guest today, you already see her if you're watching on YouTube. But if you don't know, well, you know from the title of the episode. But, but anyway, I'll introduce her. Coming to us straight out of the Jennifer Lopez division of the Scott Fishbowl, Lizzie on the block, Liz Loza. And yes... It took, thank you for laughing because it took me at least a minute to come up with a nickname in relation to Jennifer. I had to Google Jennifer Lopez songs just to come up with that.
2: Well, please just don't do me like A Rod did, okay? I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And I can't believe you just didn't figure this one out. Let's get loud.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. All right. We're going to get loud. We have a whole hour to get loud with Lizzie on the block. Um, Oh, my God. I was going to do a You're segment. You're just going to keep repeating it. I was going to do a segment. <laughs> you think was, it's enough. I was going to say, if they had your love and ask you if you like these players, but I think it's just, that was overkill. Uh, you can follow Liz on Twitter at Liz Loza, L-O-Z-A underscore F-F. And she is a fantasy football analyst for Yahoo. Who is going to be covering the Olympics as well. We're going to ask her about that. She loves her Scott Fishbowl team. Schrager, throw it up on the on the screen. Let's do it. Let's get that Scott Fishbowl lineup up there. I know you love it. What was your toughest decision? Since we're going to be talking about tough players to rank, let's stay on the theme there. What was your toughest decision in your Scott Fishbowl draft?
2: I mean, I'm going to be honest. I really am proud of this Scott Fishbowl squad. This is a league that I find crazy making since we're doing a show about crazy making players, tough to rank players every year, because there's, I mean, Scott does such an incredible job of changing the scoring system every year that there's no way to gather enough data to actually gain um, a strategic advantage year over year. But I have learned to stop undervaluing quarterbacks. So I went after my guy. It was Kyler Murray at the top. I leaned into tight end premium. George Kittle does have his durability issues. You know, I'm going to deal with it. But I also think in we when we look at San Francisco, like he's probably the most quarterback proof anticipating a change at least mid-season between Garoppolo to Trey Lance of these pass-catching options. So, and then I took Matthew uh, Stafford at number three. I think I got a little bit wonky around pick 17. I really wanted Ramondre Stevenson. I thought he was going to fall to me. I had that all queued up and instead it didn't. I wanted to add some insurance and depth to running back. And so I took Cadre Allison. I don't love it, but you know, Mike Davis isn't like ultra proven. So I'll take it. But I think that was probably the pick that I was the least confident and or proud of.
0: 17 picks. Dave, you got to really love your team when your 17th round pick is the one that. That really gives you fits. And by the way, George Kittle, because I also had the fourth pick. I took Dalvin Cook. You took Kyler Murray. Obviously, for those of you who don't know, completely different leagues. We're not competing against each other. But um, obviously, or else we wouldn't both have the fourth pick. To get George Kittle at 209, tremendous value. Great stuff. Uh, But Dave, that's a heck of a team she's got there. And I see why round 17 was the first time she really struggled with a pick.
1: She did what I did, which is you waited on receiver. And I, yeah. I would imagine that's what the majority of folks did in, uh, in fishbowl. And for anybody that looks at Liz's squad and says, oh, she's got Robert Woods and Robbie Anderson and Brandon cooks and Curtis Samuel. And, you know, a couple of other Gabriel Davis at wide receiver, her wide receivers are just too weak. They're not good enough. I disagree. We've talked about woods forever on this podcast. We're all expecting him to have a good year. Uh, At least in the case of Anderson and Cooks, there should be a lot of targets. Samuel, we talked about uh, a little bit on Monday's show, and I got a feeling we're going to talk about him again on this show. But here's the bottom line. That's one of the easiest positions to go and refill, even in a league as deep as Scott Fishbowl's. And if, if you wait to fill that spot, that means you're loaded at all the other positions, and Liz is exactly that. Really, really love the quarterback that she's got. She's got Kyler. She's got Matthew Stafford. She's got the Washington handcuffs. She's got Fitzpatrick and uh, and Taylor Haneke. Not a good nickname for Washington's football team, by the way, the Washington handcuffs. No, don't do that. But she handcuffed the quarterback, and it'll be all good. And yeah, uh, it, it's a team that's prepared and should be strong in the fishbowl scoring system
2: well thank you i appreciate that i feel like the best and worst thing about the scott fishbowl is that adp does not matter i know that there are adp trackers and kudos to the people who figure out that data and can track it but this is the ultimate get your guy league so i have flag guys i have value guys and i tried to mix them up
1: that's why when you took robert woods i took trey lance he was my sixth-round right.
2: pick. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Very different. Wanted to get my guys. Yep, that makes sense.
0: And and officially, what is your favorite Jennifer Lopez song?
2: I mean, do you expect Mine? me to winnow them down immediately <laughs> like this, just on the spot? There's a buffet, a catalog buffet. of options to choose from.
0: Yeah, right.
2: I like that song she does with Ja Rule a lot. I like that one.
0: I don't know that one. Dave, how about you? I like Get Right. Get Right? Oh, Okay. That's a song? Mm-hmm. It is. Okay. All right, great. I guess... Uh, I think Jenny from the Block for me. Yeah. All right. The toughest player to rank. So <laughs> Dave wouldn't commit to giving me one. He gave me a list of four. Just pick one, Dave, that you want to highlight as a very well, tough player to rank.
1: Can we get into the discussion now, or is this just going to be like a preview for the future discussion? <laughs> it's a preview. Yeah. Because I, I, I want to get into... The one that I was gonna say, and we'll get into it later, are the Steelers receivers. I, I still have a hard time with them, but we'll save that for a little bit later. Let's go with one that we just get out of the way, and it's pretty easy. It's Deshaun Watson. I, I, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is to not even have him ranked because I'm not sure if he's even gonna play this year. But there are rumors. It seems like now, you know, every few days coming out about a team that would be interested if things work out. Uh, the fact that we haven't heard anything lately on the front, maybe. Maybe there's some sort of settlement that he's working on, just so he can play football this year. If you're obviously by August, I would expect to know more about his situation. But let's just say you're drafting now in in late July. I, I think you've got to look at him as somebody that you you take a shot on in the double digit rounds on the on the hope that he ends up playing this year.
0: Yeah, he, his ADP is QB like twenty something. He's he's basically not being drafted. Uh, QB? Where is it? Twenty? I don't know. Okay. It's it's if it's not sorry, twenty eight. QB twenty eight. That's that's right. ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it.
1: okay, fine. Maybe it's not ridiculous because there's like I said, a chance that he doesn't end up playing this year. But I, I think the risk reward with taking him with a late pick is pretty obvious at this point. Yeah. Where if you're getting him in around oh, boo hoo hoo, you're missing out on Paris Campbell or a a DST maybe. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're inclined to take a DST that early, you could have a possible top five fantasy quarterback.
0: Yeah, Liz, it's a very tough call, I think, in a two quarterback league when you don't really have that luxury of wasting Mm -hmm. roster spots. So when would you take Watson there?
2: In a two QB league. So I don't have him ranked, actually. I just refreshed my quarterback rankings. Well, I think it was Thursday or Friday. So pretty recently. And I took him out of my rankings. Dave's right that there is news and it's a constantly evolving situation. But. I don't think I'm. I understand what Dave is saying about the potential value. And I think in a single quarterback league, that might be better, but in two QB, I would rather, as I did, uh, add one of the backups to one of these offenses that I assume is going to be good. Whether it's Trey, like reaching for somebody like Trey Lance, which is a different conversation, or grabbing Taylor Heineke and attaching um, and and adding some insurance to the quarterback position in Washington because I expect the Washington football team, frankly, to win the division, beating the odds that they currently have behind. The Dallas Cowboys. So I I think I would lean more in that direction than bother with the carnival surrounding Watson.
1: I'm going to look up what the ADP was for him in the fishbowl.
0: Right. That's a good one.
1: I, I guarantee it wasn't the 28th quarterback off the board.
0: So let me just ask you guys this. Let's say he gets traded to the Eagles. That was Adam Schefter's report that it was the most likely destination, right? But not that it was going to happen or anything. Let's just say he gets traded to the Eagles. Where would Deshaun Watson rank for you?
1: Uh, If he got traded to the Eagles and and he was cleared to start this year, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be any lower than sixth.
2: Well, where do you have Hurts? Because if we're talking about hard-to-rank players, I mean, Jalen Hurts is leading my list. And I think Mm -hmm. the reason you're prioritizing Watson is for a lot of the reasons that hurts is hard to, to rank.
1: Hold up, Adam, when you said that Deshaun Watson was QB 28, were you looking at NFC? Yeah. He's QB 28 in fishbowl too. No way. He really ended up being that far down. So he's behind Fitzpatrick, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold. Uh, he went anywhere from 108th overall to 163rd overall. Uh, somebody took him 23rd overall in one league No and he fell as far as 176, but his average draft position ended up being 109 as QB 28 off the board. So that tells me that I'm probably in the minority by having him ranked period. And that there were, there are more than enough people in fantasy that just want to not bother taking the risk on him. Even if it's round the end of round nine, basically in a super flex league.
0: Okay, so let's get so let's get into Jalen Hurts then, Liz, as he's QB ten right now, just yeah. after Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, just before Matthew Stafford and Ryan Tannehill. So uh in a very good group of quarterbacks there. Jalen Hurts was on pace for more than a thousand rushing yards last year when he started. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously I mean, that's a huge appeal. But what why is he so tough for you to rank?
2: Well, it's multi-pronged. So you mentioned the rushing upside and that's why I'm keeping him inside my top 12. I think I'm probably a little lower than, than the consensus, but still around that QB 10 to 12 range. I mean, at his ceiling, he's a top five option, right? That's Lamar Jackson numbers. Like that, there's that's where he is. But at his floor, which Dave, like, I think mildly alluded to, he gets benched mid-season and there's not a lot of pro tape available on him. So we're not quite sure what his capacity as a passer is going to be but we do know he managed a 59.2% true completion percentage last year. My question is about the play caller here in Nick Sirianni. I mean, yes, he's been in the league forever since let's let's give him 2010 with the Chiefs and then but is the only quarterbacks that he has been with have been Matt Cassel and Philip Rivers, and neither of those quarterbacks scream rushing upside to me. And Sirianni himself has reported to the media and said that he's like, unsure if he wants to change things or how much he's going to cater his scheme to Hertz's skill set, which is very obvious. Now, could he be coach speaking? Could he be trying to, you know, wave us off the scent? Sure, probably. But is this a guy who's able to do that given his previous history. I mean, I don't know if this guy doesn't go, if Sirianni doesn't go RPO heavy, I don't know how successful Jalen Hurts is going to be. And when you look at that defense and how green it is and how much of it turned over last season, Hurts is going to have to throw the ball. And if he doesn't, and who's he going to throw it to? Yes, a, reuni- a reunion with Devonta Smith sounds great, but this is still like a historically slim receiver who's done historical things otherwise, but there are plenty of question marks there. I'm not sure that the pass catcher's here. He's not, you know, it's not New Cobkins or Michael Thomas that's going to be lifting him and drawing him. It's a really young squad, and so the variance between what he could do and what he might do is very large, which makes him difficult for me to place.
0: And officially, the other thing about it is that he, officially, where he, do you guys both might, have him? Where do you guys both have him ranked? I'm sorry, Liz.
2: I think I have him 11. Let okay. me
0: double check, Dave. And
1: I've got him higher than that. I've got Hertz a little bit higher than that. I'm willing to put him uh, top 10 for sure. I have him at nine, nine. Okay. as we speak today. And there have been times where I've thought about putting him ahead of Aaron Rodgers, which really sounds ridiculous on the surface. You know, guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, was just the league MVP last year and has been a fantasy staple for so long. But it, it's the rushing upside that really does it for me on Hurts. Uh, the fact that, like, he he averaged over 24 fantasy points per game and six point per passing touchdown leagues, and he completed 52% of his passes. I think the completion rate goes up. I think that the offense will be... I I, I think Sirianni will tailor the offense to Hurts because if he doesn't... uh He's going to look really dumb, and it's going to be a bad first year, and he's just setting him up to himself up to fail. He's I mean, well, the road does not seem point. to
2: look. He does not seem to care about how he looks, given all of his press conferences. That's number true. One. His
1: press conferences, he he, <laughs> it's almost like a sitcom, right, Liz? Like you know, you you can't believe that this guy is is a head coach in the National Football League because he's so uh, I I don't know if all over the place is is the right way to put it, but um, it's different. It's definitely refreshing, but. He knows his football, and I, I I do believe that he will help the passing game at bare minimum. I think the offensive line being healthy is also going to be a big plus for Jalen Hurts. He did not have a very healthy offensive line late last season. He'll have a little bit better protection. I think that'll help him throw a little bit better. Um, and and th- what I remember watching him when he played in college was very hot and cold. Sometimes he'd sit in the pocket and he'd throw a dime sometimes he would there'd be no one near him and he'd run out of the pocket to gain like 5 yards. So there, there he definitely has some room to improve but it's that rushing that that that's such a key for fantasy. If you're in a league where it's a point for every 10 yards, he's going to help you there. And I'm trying to my fantasy team. I mean that's, that's why
2: game. he's in my he's a QB1, right? Like I actually I have him QB10. So we're not that far <laughs> apart but like Am I drafting him ahead of Tom Brady? A lot of that depends on roster construction and, you know, what falls to me. But he is not the floor option. And are you wanting to have a quarterback? Also, if the Eagles, if there are rumors that Shefty is reporting that the Eagles are even interested in Watson, that tells me that the buy-in on Hertz isn't as solid as maybe we thought.
1: Unless it's something like... They want Watson, but they know that he's not going to be available to play for them for a portion of this year, maybe all of this year, and they're willing to wait and then they'll have Hertz. And if Hertz does well, then they've got a trade ship. They can move Hertz in a trade. And if not, then, you know, Hertz becomes the backup and Deshaun becomes the starter. It could work out that way, too. But I think once they traded Wentz and then not drafted a quarterback, I think that kind of showed their main intention that they're going to go into this year with Hertz as their quarterback.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think whenever you have a quarterback like this, to me, it's it's just a much easy. Everything is a much easier decision in a one QB league uh, mm-hmm. because you take them, and there's uh, there are backup plans. I reference this a yeah, lot. Yeah, easy backup plans, yeah, right? the one league that I that we've done so far, you know, I know you're probably in more than one league. I'm only in one that we're actually playing out. So uh, I took her. I took Hurts, and then I drafted Aaron Rodgers <laughs> like three rounds <laughs> later. You have to know who you're drafting with. Um, he Aaron Rodgers currently has an ADP two picks higher than Jalen Hurts, but you know, if you are not comfortable with Hertz, that's an eighth round pick for you. take Tannehill in the next round. You know, if you take quarterbacks in rounds eight and nine, I think Heath disagreed with that. But I I'd be okay with that personally if I my first seven picks were on non quarterbacks. If I took Hertz for the upside and then I said, All right, I'll take Tannehill or I'll take Stafford or something or Burrow. I'd rather exactly. Burrow. I'm mm-hmm. fine with that in rounds eight and nine, eight and ten, something like that. Um, all right. But uh, what's the so Liz for you is it Brady or Hertz?
2: I have them back-to-back 9 and 10, Hertz 10.
0: Okay. And Dave, you have Hertz ahead of Brady, right?
1: I do. They're back-to-back for me, Hertz 9, Brady 10. Gotcha.
0: We are going to be live Tuesday night. That's tonight. Uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern on youtube.com slash fantasyfootballtoday. We're doing a mock draft, and we're also giving away a spot in our next mock draft. So again, join us on our YouTube channel, 7 p.m., as we mock with Steph Smalls, Tara Roberts, and Samantha Praviti, and we'll be giving away a spot in our next mock, mock draft so you can draft against our experts. Hit the subscribe button on youtube.com slash fantasyfootballtoday, and we will see you tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern. So covering the Olympics, Liz. Cool.
2: I, I am, yes. Thank you. Not from Tokyo. I'm doing it remotely, which means I'm going to be reliving some college days via my sleeping schedule because I'm working Pacific time. This is uh, 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. Some shifts and then some shifts 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. So we'll see what I'll I'm sure there'll be some late night social media posting that I may end up regretting.
0: What's the but- time difference? <laughs>
2: Between here, between LA and Tokyo, yeah. I don't know.
0: Okay, but <laughs> so you're going to be so are you going to be covering the live the events or or the events that air in prime time in America but have already happened in Japan that we're not supposed to have the results of?
2: I will be covering the Olympics in real time.
0: Okay, okay, that's great. Do you have a specialty sport or just? <laughs> Just whatever happens. um
2: well I do in the winter Olympics have a specialty sports uh, but this um, this particular Olympics my focus are women's gymnastics and volleyball I was on the volleyball team I was like oh. the the worst setter for someone who is 52 which is why I didn't make varsity <laughs> or, or the Olympics
0: I might add Liz you <laughs> sure. didn't make that team yeah. either um yeah. that's cool I actually did play by play in college and volleyball was by far the hardest Fun. sport. The heart to do play by play, impossible. It's just like so fast. Uh, but fun. Yeah, it was it was a challenge. Um and so how are we, how are we gonna do? USA, we're gonna win the win the medal count.
2: I mean, if you are tracking the alerts, I don't know how many people we're gonna have end uh, going, yeah. actually, because whether anyone wants to talk, I mean everybody may be tired of talking about COVID. And I think this is gonna factor into fantasy and sports betting as well. COVID nineteen remains a factor and we are seeing numerous players, not Coco goth. That's a big name, not traveling to Tokyo because she tested positive. So uh, there's another woman who is just a, on the three and three, the three, three on three basketball squad. That's new to the Olympics this year, not traveling. Katie, I want to say Somerville or something like that. Uh, She's not traveling um, and can't compete. So, This is very covering the lead up to the Olympics and the, I believe the opening ceremonies are on Friday reminds me a lot of what we all did last summer heading Mm -hmm. into the NFL season.
0: Yeah. And I know a gymnast too also got COVID. So that's really, I just feel so bad for these people They train so long, they get on the team and then they can't go and that just stinks. So. Good luck to uh, all the Olympians. I'll be watching. I love it. good luck to you covering the Olympics, Liz. And let's get back to fantasy football here. Saquon Barkley, not a lot of news today, but Saquon Barkley just didn't really give a timetable. He's kind of playing coy. Um, We don't have to talk about his his knee or anything, but do you feel comfortable with him as a first-round pick, Liz? And I guess we will end up talking about his knee. And where, where do you have him ranked, Saquon Barkley?
2: So I have him just outside of my, I believe, top five. I think I have him RB6. A little bit lower on him, but here's why. I, every year, starting last season, actually, started doing this rest versus rust series with the help of a, he is my RB6, with the help of an orthopedic surgeon and the team doctor at the University of Southern California. And I wanted to dig in more to, like, these injury things and also how, like, uh, the COVID issue of not practicing and being on and off could like affect them and in very deeply. I mean, I wrote fifteen hundred words on Saquon Barkley, so it is a deep dive. Um, I'm more nervous than people. I think everyone's like, oh, we've seen elite athletes like Adrian Peterson is the test is the test case that everyone wants to. Side And obviously these IG videos that he's posting with his quads are just incredible. And so it's a foregone conclusion that he is totally back, except his schedule is rough to open the season. He is facing Denver, Washington, and New Orleans last year. The football team and the Saints allowed the fourth and fifth fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs, respectively. Obviously, the Broncos are missing a, Q, uh, a key difference maker that will be back this year So and contributing. So I think that Saquon himself is going to want to ease in. And I think that the front office, you know, Gettleman has to like justify this early, early draft capital spent on Barkley and whether it was worth it given the market surrounding the position. And if he, you, you just can't throw him back. Like you need to ease him in and you need to get him like used to feeling contact. These videos that he's posting are great, but there's no contact. He's not wearing pads. And so I'm not quite sure that the volume that we have been used to seeing Barkley with, both via the passing game and on the ground, are going to match what we um, anticipate. And I'm not quite sure under Jason Garrett, this offense can be efficient enough to make up for that deficit. Still have him RB6, but he's not like my number four overall pick.
1: Man, makes me want to draft Devontae Booker <laughs> after hearing all that. Uh, I agree with you, Liz. The schedule is rough to begin the year. I've got them rated with the uh, ninth worst running back schedule to begin the season. So that will be tough for him. And it's not like he's going to get a lot of contact. They're not going to have him take on contact in training camp very much. And they're probably not going to run him out in the preseason very much. So there could be an easing in. But we have seen before him. Look, it just, it's a case-by-case thing. Or sometimes a coach will say, all right, well, we're we're only going to give them a limited amount of work in the first game or something like that. And then they go out and they have 25 touches because they feel fine. Coach says, you feel good? Player says, yeah, I'm good. Okay, go out there, keep going. So I I would hate to tell people, don't take Saquon Barkley with a first-round pick because he's going to have a slow start to the season. Because the other thing that we've seen a ton of times is a player is either hurt or suspended to start the year. And then he ends up being just fine and he finishes as a top five player at his position. I agree with Liz. This, this is the, the number six running back in fantasy. I would take him with a first round pick. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I also think you have to keep in mind roster construction because if you are able, and this is what Dave and I are both providing, if you know that he's going to start slow, then you can set your. Be, nobody wants to go 0 2 in your first games. Like that. This is a head that you got to win early in fantasy football in season long. And so. Now you can maybe add more ceiling in your flex spot or draft accordingly. If you know that he, if you can anticipate a slow start, you can adjust accordingly. So I, I, I agree with Dan. Like you're going to take him in the first round, but just don't expect a fire start.
1: Hey, one more thing. He the ACL tear was on September 20th, mm-hmm. and we're we're now pat. We're basically at July 20th, right? It's been 10 yeah. months. So yeah, I know. By now he should be. You know, on a a standard injury, good to go. So maybe there's a lot more to it that's slowing him down.
2: Well, he didn't get the surgery immediately. And that was because, according to the doctor I spoke to, likely they wanted his MCL to heal on its own. So he prehabbed for a month ahead of the surgery. Okay.
1: So then in that case, he would be on the timetable because the surgery was in late October. Yeah. So a month after he tore the ACL. You're right. He had the surgery on it. Okay. That's good stuff. So maybe he is on time.
0: Okay. And uh, the other news item I have is that someone stole Young Wei Koo's Jeep. That's Falcons kicker Young Wei Koo. They stole his Jeep. And he said, can you just bring my cleats back though? I won't even be (laughs) mad, bro. Just bring all my cleats back so I can go kick. That's perspective right there. Just give the man his cleats back. You can have the Jeep. That's a pretty good deal. Um. Yeah, I like that, and I think uh, Young Waku is actually on Liz Lowe's awesome Scott Fishbowl team.
2: He's my kick. He's my number one kicker in my rankings. And now knowing that he's a Jeep driver, I like him even more. I mean, that's my that's well, my he's number not one
0: driver. That Jeep right now, Liz. You know, someone else is driving it,
2: but
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But. How do you feel about Schwinn? Because that's what a he's bike? got right now. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't
0: have his car right now.
2: Fine, right, fair. But he
0: hopefully gets his cleats. All right. We are using. I am using average draft position on NFC since July first. As we talk about the toughest players to rank, we'll go through Liz's four and then Dave's. Liz already gave us Jalen Hurts, so I mentioned his QB ten, and uh, the uh, the running back that she provided is Joe Mixon. Also, we'll talk about Kenny Galladay and Noah Fant, one of each position. Very cool. Joe Mixon, you think is very tough to rank? Discuss.
2: Well. I know where I land on Joe Mixon and I'm ahead of the consensus, but I think he's one of the more divisive running backs because of the injury history, because he hasn't necessarily always returned on investment. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, he's one of those players that if you're not for him, you say, Oh, there are a million excuses. And if you do believe him, um, if you do believe him, you cite all of those excuses. Um, I think that he is talented. I don't think that anyone can say he's not in 2019 he evaded the most tackles among any running back in the lead league at an average of 6.4 per game. So you think, oh, okay, great. Well, we know he has that talent, but you don't want your running back evading all those tackles because that means the offensive line is really bad, which is obvious in Cincinnati. Add Joe Burrow, though, and that evaded tackle number goes down to 4.7 per game because Burrow adds an electricity to the offense that prevents opposing defenses from so regularly stacking boxes against Mixon. In fact, here's a fun stat. Last year, Mixon recorded a light front carry rate of 60%, which was RB7 for that category throw in Jamar Chase. We still got T Higgins. We still got Tyler Boyd. We no longer have Gio Bernard. And so now there are passing game opportunities with who Mixon with which Mixon, who is an efficient pass catcher, can absorb. And there's more field stretching opportunities. And so I think he has an opportunity to flirt with his 2018 numbers. The question mark, and this is why he's tough to rank, is whether or not he can stay healthy enough and actually do it.
1: I mean the light box rate, Liz, is that seven or fewer in the box or six or fewer in the box.
2: I will double check it. I believe I'm the, the I've used two different. So let me check the uh okay. one that I referenced in that article.
1: Yeah. So that's something that I've been looking at with running backs too. And it makes perfect sense that teams are, they're not going to sit down and especially in, especially their guys up front can manhandle the Bengals offensive line, which wasn't that improved. And they've got to do something about all these receivers that they have. So, I think in, in in a way, Mixon has a chance to definitely be better than last year because he got hurt and he had one great game and everything else was just kind of meh. But I think he's got a chance to really fuel his numbers via efficiency in the receiving game. And without Geo being there, uh, I think it would be kind of dumb for the Bengals to not at least give Mixon the opportunity to be a three-down back. And I, I think that overall he'll have a chance to put up some good numbers provided that he stay healthy. I know that's been an issue. I think the bigger issue is that there's a bunch of fantasy managers out there that are like, Nope, don't want anything to do with him. He's disappointed me before he disappointed me in 2020. He disappointed me several years ago and he's on the Bengals and the Bengals always lose. And I I guess I get that, but I also know that the Bengals can and probably will produce a lot of points this year. So I'm, I'm on board with Mixon as a top 15 running back. i am if if I really got cold feet on Najee Harris, he'd probably crack my top 12.
2: Uh, so I have him at running back 10. So I'm a little more bullish, for all the reasons you cited, on him. Um, and it is a uh, 6 in the box, by the way. I,
1: wow, I so that's that. a really that's a really high rate. And that was last year, huh? Before they even got chased. So that, that would encourage me a lot, because I can't see that percentage changing going into no. 21.
2: So that's wow. what I mean about the uh, the efficiency. And so mm-hmm. I, I understand it. And I think the recency bias always, I mean, always weighs in, but there is good reason to have a headache because of his prior performances overdrafting him. I ultimately, when doing the math though, decided like, well, numbers don't lie and durability can only be so much. And so I'm going to put him inside my top 12.
0: Yeah, look, if you just look at his 16-game pace for the last three seasons, Joe Mixon has been on pace for 1,673 total yards, 1,424 total yards, 1,509 total yards. Last year was deceiving because there was one game with just a huge, you know, huge game against Jaguars. But also, as as kind of bad as he was as a rusher in some of those other games, he still was very involved in the passing game. They kind of phased Geo out. And uh, in PPR, you know, he still had respectable games. But if he's more consistent, I and mean, this is a guy, just the raw numbers, he's been on pace for more than 1,400 total yards three seasons in a row. Per game, he's been a top 12 running back two of the last three seasons. Really, why he hasn't been incredible as as a fantasy option, he hasn't had a, an outlier touchdown season. Now, he's been on pace for usually, mm. usually around 10, 11 total touchdowns, something like that. You figure there's, there's definitely a chance for a lot of, he, Nobody's taking him off the field in the goal line. And the offense could be the best that it's been in a very long time. So it might come down to that. And what I find crazy, we're talking here about where you have him in the rankings. In ADP on NFC, he's 19th overall. Whoa. And he's RB14. And he's after Antonio Gibson. And Dave, we're going to do FFT in five after this. And I'm going to pick a few players that I think are tough to rank. Sure. And Antonio Gibson is gives me headaches. But there is no chance in hell I would ever take him over Joe Mixon. I cannot understand that. I, I can't see a justification for that. And that's what ADP says. Three picks ahead of Joe Mixon, in fact. Only one running back spot ahead of him. But I, I, that just boggles my mind.
1: I'm with you on that one. I've got Mixon actually one spot ahead of Gibson. So if I was forced with that decision, I would take Mixon over Gibson. And I think it would be because of the workload that is expected and uh, I think that's pretty much it. The thing that really does bother me when it gets to mixing is be- because he's never had that outlier touchdown year. He's never been fully consistent. In 2018, for example, he he got you 15 or more PPR points in half of his 14 games, and that's like the best rate that he's given you over the last three seasons. Doesn't he'll he'll give you some smash weeks, no doubt, but doing it every week, yeah, he hasn't really done that in the last three years.
0: All right. You know what's a tough call, I think, Liz, is is Joe Mixon or Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins. You know, what do you what decision do you make there?
2: So whether or not you're gonna draft receiver, yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably gonna take Joe Mixon. And maybe this is old school thinking, but we talked, admittedly, about the the fishbowl. There is such an amazing glut of wide receiver three options, all of whom could hit. And I trust my analysis and my gut enough to know which of those guys I can hit on in those sandwich rounds of a draft that can propel me to make up any difference, but at running back, it just gets lean real fast. So I think I would probably, I mean, I'm higher on nuke than a lot of people because of the old man narrative attached to him now, but I I think I would lean more towards Mixon because of the scarcity at the position.
0: I'm going to do a Twitter poll and see who people are taking in half PPR Mixon or Antonio Gibson. I want to see how, how out of touch I am. If I am, Um, I think you
1: should do a second one with, uh, Mixon or a receiver not named Tyreek slash Devontae. Yeah.
0: Well, what if I just did one Twitter poll? Who are you taking in half PPR? Joe Mixon, Antonio Gibson, Stefan Diggs. Does that work?
1: I don't know if we'll get a real barometer that way on Mixon. All right. And I think that's right. what we're looking for is a yeah. referendum on
0: Joe Mixon from the public. Okay. Then I will do two separate Twitter polls. Jeez, Dave. That's like... 10 seconds of time. Can you do more work? Uh, all right. Listen, uh, pr- quick promotion here. We've been talking about the Scott Fishbowl. Scott Fish is the man. He has generously offered up spots to play against our experts in next year's Scott Fishbowl. Coveted spots in the Scott Fishbowl Bowl. In August, we're going to put those spots up for auction for St. Jude. So you'll be able to bid on a spot in leagues against each of our experts, and 100% of the proceeds are going to St. Jude. So just be on the lookout for it. We're raising a ton of money this fall. Um, be a part of it, and you could even be in the Scott Fishbowl next year. I want to talk about Kenny Galladay. He's wide receiver 27, and his ADP in NFC is fascinating, Liz. He's wide receiver 27. He's 61st overall. He is just after T. Higgins and Brandon Ayuk. We're talking about Kenny Galladay here. Mm. But he is eight picks before the next receiver off the board, which is Odell Beckham. So it is an obvious tier of these like wide receiver twos, basically. Galladay's at the tail end of it, and then it's Beckham, who's probably going too early, we'll say, I I think the CBS folk would say, ahead of Claypool, ahead of Juju and others. But um, anyway, you think Kenny Galladay is very tough to rank. Let me tell you this, I just want to tell you, that with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll a couple years ago, He was on pace for 60 catches, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns. With those bums. And I swear they're probably, I think, worse than (laughs) Daniel Jones. But what do you find difficult about ranking Kenny Galladay, and where do you have him ranked?
2: Well, like everything, it's multi-pronged and that's why it makes it difficult. I will also admit that I have a team named Rosé Algoladay. This is a pet player of mine. I grew up in Chicago. He went to Northern Illinois University. I love these small school underdogs. I fell into the baby Tron trap. And what you are referencing, the numbers that he was able to put up with nobodies is his incredible talent. And talent, this is something that Andy Behrens taught me, is always a tiebreaker. However... I think that there is more going on here than just a too many mouths to feed scenario, though that is certainly part of this. And in an offense led by Jason Garrett, again, I'm not entirely comfortable or confident that, you know, there's going to be a wild pace for the Giants, especially to uh, Garrett's credit of how well he was able to turn over that defense. But here is the thing. I think we have to like, this was another player, the third player that I profiled in my rest versus rest series with Dr. Alex Weber. And the labral tear, the presumed labral tear that existed within his hip, I don't see anywhere having been repaired surgically. There, uh, Labral tears can be asymptomatic in plenty of players. The orthopedic community does not know why some become symptomatic and others do not. I think what happened in Kenny G's case, and this is just by, via my own research and a little bit of conjecture, is that he hurt himself early on. Uh, And because there was probably a laboral Terry hurt himself in the preseason came, but you know, came back from that was absolute fire. And then, the the hip issue became symptomatic. He had to sit for a while. When it was time for him, he had every intention of returning. When it was time for him to come back, however, like Patricia was fired, Quinn was gone, the lion's season was over. He knew he was in a contract year. Why bother sacrificing his body? So he made a business decision. It was quite a good one. I mean, there's a four-year, $72 million deal in a week-wide receiver market certainly proved to be a good business decision. But also... I don't think he. I don't see anywhere where he got the labral tear fixed. Now, could it remain asymptomatic for the entire year? Sure, it could. Could it also crop up? Yes, it could. Again, a headache. He's for reference my wide receiver twenty four. So the bottom of my wide receiver two options. I've already talked about the volume issue. The other issue is the quarterback that we have to deal with. Um, can Danny Dimes? Throw into tight windows, which he's going to need to do with a player like Galladay, who does not get much separation but wins at contested catches. That's another question mark. He hasn't. Don't Jones hasn't done it before. Now has he not done it before because he didn't have a receiver who could allow him to do it? Again, another question mark. All of these things make it difficult to be confident about where to put Kenny Galladay, even though we know he has the supreme talent. It's about the puzzle pieces all melding together. When I fold in the potential of like him missing more time, especially in an extended season, now that we have 17 games and soft tissue issues becoming, being wildly unpredictable. I have him at the bottom of my wide receiver two options.
1: He's not even a wide receiver two for me.
2: All right. So he's, he's,
1: he is a, he is a number one. No, I'm just kidding. He's a, he's a high end (laughs) flex. Uh, well, what is he? Do you have the number? I got him 27th.
0: Oh, that's exactly where he's being drafted. Well,
1: then look at me being square. But (laughs) I I like that he's top 10 in consistency each of the last two seasons. Uh, We're always looking for 15 PPR points per game from our receivers. He's given you at least 14 PPR, 4 of 5 last year, 10 of 16 in 2019, uh, 8 of 15 with 14 plus in 2018. You wish it was that little extra point higher, but I guess you could live with it. If it was 14, uh, I hated the way that the Giants' offense operated last year. There wasn't a receiver. This has nothing to do with Kenny, but they they didn't have a 1,000-yard receiver. They didn't have three touchdowns. Uh, I like going back and looking at Jason Garrett's track record with receivers and how he likes having that number one outside threat. When he called plays in Dallas, we talked about this on Monday's podcast, five of six seasons, a guy had a thousand yards and or eight touchdowns. The two, the two, the seasons where he didn't have a thousand yard receiver, he had two with eight fifty. the year. He didn't have a receiver with eight touchdowns. He had two with six touchdowns. I'm just wondering if that's not enough for Galladay. Like if you're drafting Galladay, you have to look at him and say, okay, his ceiling might be around a thousand to 1100 yards and six to eight touchdowns. And if you, if you, Appropriate those numbers to him. I think you just view him as a high-end flex, especially if the hip does continue to be a problem for him.
2: Yeah, I think I think Dave is hitting on something. I mean, I you mentioned though that he has been consistent. Those are overall numbers. He finished twenty nineteen the wide receiver five overall, but he's always been highly varied because he doesn't. He's never had a ton of volume. He's just had a ton of high high value targets. He averaged thirteen point six fantasy points per contest. Um in that same 2019 year, which was wide receiver nine. So, wide receiver nine per week, wide receiver five overall, again, because of the high value opportunities. And I have him projected. I think it's interesting that you said his ceiling was about a thousand yards. I have him for 985, seven touchdowns, and 10 white knuckles.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right in that range that I gave you. So, I, I, I like that projection a lot. And I think that's how people should uh, remember those numbers when you go to draft Galladay mm-hmm. and make yeah. sure you're not leaving a receiver on the board that's got like 1,200 yard, nine or 10 touchdown potential.
0: Yeah. Upside's going to be a problem for him. But I think, I do think there's a high floor for him. Because he has really not had good quarterback play in his career. Because 2018 was his first good year. It was a thousand yard season, 1,063 yards in 15 games. So it's so like 1,100 yard pace. And Matthew Stafford had a broken back and didn't even throw for 3,800 yards. It was one of his worst years. Stafford was terrible. Then in 2019, Stafford missed half the season. And then last year, Galladay played four games and he was very good in those four games. Uh, so I, I think, actually, believe it or not, Daniel Jones can be as good. As what he's as is what Galladay has actually played with because he hasn't really played with Peak Stafford all that much. um, Interestingly enough, and when he did play with Peak Stafford, the first eight games of 2019, he was really good and uh, you know was better than his season long numbers. All right, next up is Noah Fant, and then we'll take a break um, and then we'll get to Dave's guys. Noah Fant, man, I, I mean, I was just watching you know some some video of Noah Fant today. And and then Dallas Goddard and then T.J. Hawkinson and Liz, you know, you you talked about the motto that talent has to be a tiebreaker. I, I don't. He is so good, you know. And this it's so frustrating. He's so fast. I don't know who the fastest tight end in football is, but he's got to be up there. Maybe it's Waller. I, I don't. I, I, I know it could be Kelsey. I, maybe I'm just an idiot for not saying it's him. But <laughs> but I think I think he ran a four or five forty. He's a tight end. He, he's so good. Yeah. And he is tough to rank for sure. Um. He's tight end eight in ADP right now, late round eight pick. Fourteen picks after Dallas Goddard, six picks before Logan Thomas. So I think Fant is definitely going to fall into the the Goddard Fant group in your drafts. But you know, do you, do you just struggle with the talent versus opportunity and targets and offense thing that we're all struggling with with Fant?
2: I mean, I wouldn't say opportunity, um, but I do struggle with his uh, potential. I mean, he's a fascinating study for many of the reasons that you're highlighting. He is an athletic marvel, a 95th percentile spark score. He, but why, why remember, why is he a first round draft pick? What was everybody saying when he came out of Iowa? Because of his, because of his ability to win in the red area of the field. Well, then tell me why he has just three touchdowns in back-to-back season. <laughs> oh, that's, that's
1: just the beginning of it, Liz. Just, well, I, girl,
2: do you know how many I'm red zone you. targets
1: he had last year? I
2: do. In fact, he drew 12 and he managed seven completions in the red area of the field out of 12 red zone targets.
1: It's ridiculous.
2: It needs to be much
0: higher. Yeah. And he's got four
2: drops in back to back season. So this is the, this is, and now we've got, and that was without Cortland Sutton, remember? Right. So now we've Mm -hmm. got Cortland Sutton. We've seen Judy Flash. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. So I don't, I have him as like a low end tight end one, but I don't want him in any league. And maybe I'm missing out, but that's fine. I would rather stream because all of these players that we have discussed are the players who are going to smash high one week and probably flatline for you the following and they're highly variant players, which makes their overall rank very difficult to ascertain
1: case in point weeks one and two for Noah Fant last year, 33 PPR points. Awesome. He then averaged 7.5 PPR points per game in the remaining 13 games. He only had three games with 10 or more PPR points. So he got off to a hot start and then all of a sudden he disappears in that offense. Well, he hurt his ankle
2: that's the issue. He hurt oh,
1: his ankle. Maybe, okay, but, I mean, he still played in a bunch of games. The ankle is what slowed him down. The ankle is what kept him from being used in the red zone. Why That's wouldn't the they use this? It's it's a. I don't, I don't know if I like well, it. Well, Dave, I don't he, I also, it.
0: he also caught three touchdowns all year, and two of them were in weeks one and two. That's why right, the so fantasy points are he, much higher in those games. I, I think if the
1: team loved him, they they would find ways to manufacture targets for him inside the 20-yard line, and they didn't do enough of it last year. He was tied for 18th among tight ends in red zone targets. 18th
0: among tight ends. I don't know. It just feels like, well, studying a guy like Julio Jones and why doesn't he score touchdowns, I've noticed throughout the year that some players, their red zone targets fluctuate so much. So I really could see this changing. It could be if they go to Bridgewater, maybe it starts happening. I, I can't sit here and say the coaches didn't, do a good enough job getting him involved, because for all I know, it could have been all on Drew Lock, uh, or for all I know, he just wasn't getting open. I don't know, um, but he is. So, I mean, or he has bad crushing. hands. Yeah, yeah, he's just and and they still they didn't throw a lot of touchdowns. It's not like they were good in the red zone, um, they just were bad, right? So uh, he's cr- he's really hard for me because I I don't like skipping talent. He's so talented, but the Sutton thing just is is a crusher it's- for me.
1: It's the Sutton thing. It's the Judy thing. It's the Drew Locke thing. Yeah. And it's the running thing. Like the defense thing. Oh, that's another good point. The defense is going to be really good this year. So and then they're they've got enough horses in their stable at running back to where we can't say, well, once Melvin Gordon goes down, they're going to have to throw 30 times a game or 40 times a game. That's not going to happen either. So to me it's it's an opportunity issue for no offense.
0: all right, we will take a break here on Fantasy Football today. When we come back, we will check on, out on the two Twitter polls that I had to come up with, and then we'll go through Trey Sermon and uh, whatever else we can get to. The Steelers. Well, we'll start with the Steelers wide receivers. Dave really wanted to talk about them and being very difficult to rank. All right, we'll be right back on Fantasy Football today. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling
1: this too. That's why you need Robert Half, Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit RobertHalf.com today. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.
0: All right. So the first one was, who would you rather have, Joe Mixon or Antonio Gibson? And of course, I couldn't believe it that Gibson was going ahead of him. And right now, Gibson is leading in half PPR. He has fifty one point four percent of the vote, and Mixon forty eight point six. Liz, am I am I way off here? I just I feel like it's such a leap with Antonio Gibson to put him ahead of Mixon. Right. But I do think that you said there's that group that's like I'm, not, or maybe Dave said it. They were burned by Mixon and will never draft him again. People have. A lot of anger <laughs> toward Joe Mixon. Uh, what do you think, Gibson versus Mixon, real quick?
2: I, I have Gibson at 12, I think, and Mixon at 10. So again, they're close. I get it. But I think you've been doing this long enough to know that recency bias weaves its way into every single preseason discussion. I think that's a large part. Of it. And I also think that the Washington football team is just one of the most exciting teams out there, right? Like they, they're coming off of uh, an impressive playoff stint and Mm -hmm. Ryan Fitzpatrick makes this offense all the more exciting and it's hard to not want to attach yourself to these Washington football teamers
0: not for me but uh for yeah uh (laughs) that's so interesting I just I I feel like it's coming up so much you're right people have so much faith in their offense do you generally have faith in their offense Liz
2: I mean, this year, yeah. I will say that one of my spicy... T- I, I am betting on them to win the division. Um, their odds are just behind the Giants, I believe. But, yeah, I think they're a spicy offense, and I like them a lot, yeah. Scott uh, Turner has been, like, top 10 in pace and pass attempts yep. in back-to-back years. Like, how can you not love it? And with that defense? Come on.
0: I thought that, I thought it was the Cowboys, then the then Washington, then the Giants and the Eagles in terms of odds. That's right. Um Okay, the, the thing is, you know, pff, nobody ever wins that division twice in a row, Liz, so it's going to be...
2: I was
0: a Giants fan. <laughs> uh, That's okay, the Cowboys can win too. Yeah. Uh, who are you taking in half PPR? Joe Mixon or Stefan Diggs? This one's not even close. 77.4% to Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Wow, okay. Okay, Dave, let's talk about your guys who are tough to rank. The Steelers wide receivers. Right now, Deontay Johnson in NFC average draft position is wide receiver 20. He's going 50th overall. And Chase Claypool and Juju are back-to-back, wide receiver 29 and 30, 72nd overall. And that is the end of round six. So is, it, is it, they're difficult to rank. Do you find that it's difficult to even predict who the best one is going to be?
1: Yes, because... Uh, And and I've got, at least I have that down to two guys where I've got Deontay Johnson, who I think just volume will help him be that main receiver in Pittsburgh like he was last year. But I look at Claypool and we've talked about this before, about how Chase Claypool just has this unique body type and size speed combination. And uh, it, it would just make sense for the Steelers to keep scheming him up in their offense like they did last year as he takes a step forward in his second season whereas Juju, to me, isn't in the conversation. Even though he did get volume last year, uh, he regressed with his efficiency. I don't see him as a playmaker. I just see him as a guy that can compile a lot of catches, and that's good for fantasy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to go and be a top five or top 10 fantasy wide receiver. So what I've done with this offense, because I'm I'm trying to get a beat on them too, and I've spent a lot of time on the Steelers this offseason. I did my research on Matt Canada. He's their new offensive coordinator, he called up a lot of plays in college. He uses a lot of pre-snap motion to clue the quarterback in on what type of a defense he's going to have. He loves play action. He loves quick throws. We know the Steelers did a ton of quick throwing yeah. last year, and he really preaches completions and high yards after catch. So he wants those yards after catch to be there. It's it's kind of like a, a quicker-paced version of a West Coast offense when it comes to the passing game. Roethlisberger on play action last year. Um, his completion rate was under 70% adjusted. It was 40th best. Uh, he had one touchdown on play action, according to pro football focus, getting rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds. He had 26 touchdowns, four interceptions, 80.8% adjusted completion rate, but an average depth of throw of 5.5 5 yards, 73% of all of his throws were under two and a half seconds. Who does this benefit in the offense? I think it benefits Johnson. And I think it benefits Juju in terms of, again, their volume. But I I just can't shake Claypool and the talent that he's got and the fact that when defenses do decide to play man against the Steelers, they're not going to have anybody there to to combat Claypool. And I think he can be a bigger game wrecker in the red zone. And I think that he's got a chance to really be uh, the most improved receiver in the Steelers' offense. But there's one more thing on top of all that. And this is a Steelers team that ran the ball 20.1 times per game with their running backs in 2020. It was the 10th lowest in football. Their quarterbacks averaged 41 attempts per game. That was the highest in the league by 1.1 attempts per game. That was Dallas. Those numbers are going to flip. So Roethlisberger isn't going to throw as much. Najee's there. He's going to run more. And it it makes me wonder what it's going to do to the target share for all three of these guys. And it makes me wonder how many of them can really finish as top 20 options by the time the season ends. And how many of them can realistically even be top 30 options if Roethlisberger's throwing less and if he's not getting consistent playmaking after the catch from all three of these guys? So I struggle with them.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Liz, do you think that Deontay Johnson should be 20 picks ahead of Claypool and Juju?
2: I do think that Deontay Johnson has the best breakout appeal of all of these. Um, I think his skill set is the most varied enough. I like what Dave was saying because I think Juju is like this wide receiver three because of volume. But when you fold in Najee Harris, who by the way has plus 600 odds to win rookie of the year, I will take those <laughs> odds, they're delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 and it doesn't like Matt Canada can want to try to get the ball out as quickly as possible. He's going to have to, because of his quarterback. And my only fear about Claypool. And I, I hear what you're saying, Dave. And honestly, Johnson is like Johnson had all these drops, not because he has bad hands, but because the timing with Roethlisberger wasn't good enough because Rothlisberger's shoulder wasn't strong enough, I think to connect. And so for that reason, I think that Juju is this like, not at all sexy, very, very floor play. But if, Previously, we talked about these, you know, high variance players. You're not going to get that, I think, as much from Juju. You know, you can probably rely on, <laughs> this is not something sexy, but you can probably re- rely on like, you know, tight end six numbers from him week in and week out.
1: Ooh. Wow. Move him up in the draft board. Tight end <laughs> right. six. All He's right. moving up my tight end <laughs> rankings as we speak.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, um, as I was
2: doing what? I, how many like catches and yards, I was like, well, that's kind of what I would like, like out of my like second tier of tight end, so...
0: Uh, who do you like better, Claypool or Juju? Uh,
2: I, I mean, I'm going to be a moon shooter and go with Claypool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: the one other nice thing about Claypool is whether he went up against man coverage or zone coverage last year, he averaged over five yards after catch, uh, yards after contact per catch.
2: That was a good, yeah, that was a good mention of
1: the That's one of the things that Canada's looking for. Deontay was over five yards also against zone coverage, but not against man. Juju was below four, uh, right around four, 4.1 either way.
0: All right, Trey Sermon is also on your list of toughest players to rank. He is RB29, 75th overall, going after James Robinson and Chase Edmonds, before Michael Carter, and his teammate Raheem Mostert or Sermon's teammate Raheem Mostert and Melvin Gordon. So it's like Sermon, Carter, Mostert, Gordon, very close to each other. And and Dave, um, what do you find difficult about ranking Sermon?
1: Well, uh, speaking of sexy, this is the sexy running back to take in, in mm-hmm. San Francisco. He's swagalicious in that he, he knows this run scheme very well. He studied it when he was transferring to Ohio State. I think that's good, but... I, like I feel like every there's going to be somebody in every league that reaches for Trey Sermon. I don't know if I want to be that guy because Kyle Shanahan's kind of made it clear over his time in San Francisco that he's not really ready to sink all of the work into one guy. He hasn't had a rookie running back, even earned 200 touches in any year from 2014 through 2020. That predates his time in San Francisco. You'd have to go back to guys like Alfred Morris uh, to, to find a rookie running back that really did well under Shanahan. And Sermon also has injuries of his own. He cracked a vertebrae in 2015, a torn left LCL in 19, dislocated his left shoulder of January of this year. So I wonder if there's going to be some consistent, let's just use everybody at running back. And Shanahan won't really give a damn about our fantasy teams. And so I I love the talent that Sermon has, but as long as Mostert and Gallman, maybe Elijah Mitchell, and by the time we get to late November, maybe Jeff Wilson are all around in San Francisco. There won't be a time where you'll feel great about starting Trey Sermon. My guess is that he'll have five really nice games for fantasy this year. Good luck figuring out when they're going to be.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, Liz, do you take Mostert or, or Sermon?
2: I'm probably going to take Sermon. I agree that he's difficult. I mean, this was he was my number five running back heading into the draft. I will say the because San Francisco made a deal with the Rams and, you know, obviously McVeigh and Shanahan have a familiarity with one another, but they made this, they, San Francisco made a deal with the Rams to move up and they added him with the number 88 pick. To me, that investment means that, and mosters 2020 was not something I think he wants to remember or Kyle Shanahan wants to remember, although I was listening to the Flying Coach podcast with Sean McVay. And yeah, it's Shanahan was, yeah, it's a great show, right? And, and Shanahan was on, As a guest, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that time he like was referencing a previous playoff game," and he was like, "Yeah, that time Mostert was on." I was like, "Oh, uh, that's that's an interesting influx." I felt like, or that he used um, in talking about Mostert. Regardless, I think that this is Shanahan's newest toy, other than Trey Lance. Like this is, and, and we know that obviously this is a scheme friendly program, a a scheme-friendly offense for the running back position. It's averaged over 400 in rushing attempts over the last three seasons. And both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert closed out 2020 inside the top 30 um, in fantasy points per game. So that's also what's helping to boost Sermon. I agree. I've had trouble ranking Sermon as well because it's not just his injury history, Dave, but also, and I think you're going to agree with this, his running style invites this sort of injury Issue and Shanahan yes. likes those kind of backs. Tevin Coleman, Jared McKinnon mm-hmm. like he has a, Trey Sermon is Shanahan's type, and Shanahan's type has proven that he that they cannot sustain a full 16 now 17 game season.
0: Yeah, he did get I a I mentioned, ton of work. sorry, Adam,
1: one last yeah, thing. Yeah. I mentioned that Shanahan hasn't had a rookie running back with over 200 touches since 2014, he hasn't had a 49ers running back period get over 200 touches. Uh, with the exception of Carlos Hyde in 2017. Mm. So 18, 19, 20, he didn't have one that even had 200 touches over the bounce of the year. None of them had 1,000 yards either.
0: Yeah, so Sermon, he uh, I just found this funny. He had 114 carries, 116 carries. More than half of them came in two games. And that was the Big Ten championship game. He had 29 carries for 331 yards and two touchdowns. And then the college football semifinal, he had 31 carries against Clemson, 193 yards and a touchdown. And then, unfortunately, he only had one carry in the national championship game, and he got hurt. Uh, But he wasn't a workhorse by any means until those last two games for him. Basically, he had 60 carries. Also, slow 40 time. But they love his 10 yard split. He had a very fast 10 yard split. So he gets going quickly. Doesn't have the high end speed like Mostert does, but they love that he had like 95th percentile on his 10 yard split. All right, Dave, uh, we are. You know what? I I think this whole
1: conversation made me a lot more comfortable with where to rank Trey Sermon.
0: And where's that?
2: Where are you putting him?
1: I think I'm going to move him down. I think I'm not going to be the guy that goes after Trey Sermon.
0: Okay.
2: So is he inside or outside of your top 25?
1: He'll be outside. Okay. How about 30. He's my, yeah.
2: How
0: about 30?
1: I think he'll be right around there. So good flex, good number three, good non PPR flex when you know he's going to play. I don't know. I just feel like he could end up clogging my roster for a big chunk of the year. And the injuries, the lack of consistent success in college and Shanahan's track record, it, it just makes me
0: nervous. Where is he for you, Liz?
2: I have him RB twenty six right now. Twenty six. All right, that's so. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. My. I'm not as Weibozy as uh, Dave is right now. I don't know if I can put him outside my top thirty. I guess the investment though, the draft investment is is real enticing to me.
0: Third round pick, fourth, I believe, right, the fourth running back off the board. Um, Number eighty eight. overall. In right. Draft eighty eight. Hand
1: trading up for him definitely means something.
0: All right. Well, we're going to save Curtis Samuel for fantasy football today in five and Antonio Gibson. We're going to have to pick one player who's not on Washington. Um, We'll get to that. Please check out FFT in five and make sure you're following Liz at Liz Loza underscore FF and all of her Olympics coverage. And it was awesome having you on. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much. I love coming on. And Dave, uh, thank you for helping me tweak my uh, rankings. I guess Yahoo should pay you a little bit because you uh, (laughs) help me out here.
0: On the house, no problem.
2: Appreciate it.
0: Yes, and when Kadri Allison is uh, has taken over for Mike Davis and Ramondre Stevenson's getting two carries a game, your Scott Fishbowl <laughs> team is going to be even better.
1: No, no, no. What's going to happen is Kadri Allison's going to go off, and Liz and I will meet in the championship for the trophy because we both have Allison on our Scott Fishbowl.
0: Wait a team. second. Hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. I think I might have Kadri Allison on my team. Oh, that would be amazing if you guys him don't. I got him in round 20. I lied. I oh, don't.
2: Oh, I got him in 17.
0: Okay. It doesn't really
1: matter when you get him as long as you got him on the squad. He ran right. in round He's, he's going to be the reason why we succeed this year in
0: fishbowl. You You're going to face, you first. You're, Q-O. <laughs> you're gonna face the manager of Allison Chains from the Allison Chains division who drafted Kadri Allison. That's so, a great pick. Excellent.
1: All right. Thanks And if thanks, he everybody. would, would you?
0: That, yes. Th- good job, Dave. Again, it's a very difficult band to make song puns with. But luckily, Jennifer Lopez isn't. That's Liz Loza, Dave Richard. I am Adam Azer. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Fantasy Football Today.
2: You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity I look at your faces. I do not
1: see defeat. No. no! And I do not see surrender. Is
2: far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New
1: season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+.